cities are going to be redesigned. Uh, we're not going to own cars. So essentially 140 billion hours that Americans spend driving, we're going to do something else. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. The moral of the story is take your 10-year-old son to lose. Instead of lying in bed like a loser, what if I launched myself out of bed like a rocket? A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have award-winning author and disruption expert Tony Siba as he shares why the 2020s will become the decade of disruption, how transportation will become more like streaming music, and if flying cars will finally become a reality. So what is so interesting about Tony Seba is he thinks about not just the next step, but the step after that. So we've got this, we're coming into a a time of, of a lot of change where our lives, you know, disruption is the buzzword. Our lives are going to be disrupted by a lot of these things. And are we going to be the people that take advantage of it or the people that have things done to them? So in terms of transportation, a lot of times you think, okay, the car's not going to have a steering wheel. But what does that mean in terms of our life, how it's going to change, how we're going to buy cars or not buy cars? And then he even goes on to say how that's going to change how our cities look the change that's going to happen to parking lots and and so many different things and just seeing ahead and how our lives are going to be and how we can take advantage of that as consumers, as business leaders, whatever it might be. And so I asked Tony, why is paying attention to disruption so important? Businesses have to compete. And these days, there are so many uh, technologies that are improving so quickly and so many new business model innovations and product innovations that a business can be gone in a couple of years. You could go from um, a record profit year, you know, Kodak in 2000, to essentially bankrupt a few years later. You could go... um, So businesses can be disrupted quickly and easily by technology-based disruptions. And so a lot of folks are paying attention to disruption because of that, because they have to compete. Not only that, they have to exist. Um, you know, your business, any business, can be disrupted anytime. And if you're not paying attention, you could be gone in a couple of years. I think that's such an interesting story that you tell, too, with, with Kodak, you know, going from a company that was, was dominant and actually had everything in place to to be the leader in, you know, the digital uh, digital photos and that sort of thing, and then and then lost it from from not, um, you know, anticipating or leading the market disruption themselves. Why do you think that is? I know maybe some people say human nature, but why do you think that is that, that companies fail to take advantage of that? So the Kodak uh, case is interesting because Kodak invented digital imaging. It was not like they did not know that it was coming. They invented digital imaging. They invested billions of dollars. They had thousands, uh, at least 1,000 patents in digital imaging. They had actually uh, developed a business plan to be a $200 billion company in digital imaging. So it's not like they didn't know that it was coming. They did. Um, but this this explains, this has several lessons for um, many uh, corporations, one of which is that it is, even if you know it's coming, uh, it's very hard to change your business model. So you're good at what you do, um, that's why you're large. That's why you're making so much money. Uh, but you become siloed in that in that business model, uh, and you fail to see outside of 
what you're doing. Um, the other lesson is that even if you know it's coming, you don't think it's going to happen quickly. So it's always going to happen 10 years out, not within uh, essentially the first, the next couple of years. That's another one. And another lesson is that disruptions usually come from the outside. Um, and, and, and so the, the, they fail to see the little companies, the Facebooks or the Googles and so on, uh, who have nothing to lose. Uh, while you, as a leader, uh, you know, in, in the example of Kodak or in the examples of newspapers that get disrupted by, by Google and the web and so on, um, they become addicted to the cash flow. Uh, it's hard to um, get out of that cash flow. They become addicted. Um, they become surrounded by mainstream analysts and they read the media and, and, and basically they hire the experts who tell them exactly uh, what they want to hear, which is, you're doing great, uh, change is linear, uh, and change is slow, don't worry about it, it's going to take 10 or 20 years, whereas disruption happens quickly, exponentially, and in S-curves, which is another lesson. Um, S-curves means that uh, when uh, technology, every technology has been adopted as an S-curve, never linearly, um, and, and, and once you hit that tipping point, which can happen, which can take years or even decades, it essentially grows, adoption grows super exponentially. So you can be gone in a matter of weeks or months or a few years once that tipping point happens. And so companies fail to see when that tipping point is going to happen, uh, in part because in the past, it was hard to anticipate. I and mean, one of the things that I found through my research uh, was that essentially the, the technology disruptions um, happen or are enabled by what I call a technology convergence. So a lot of folks look at just one technology or two. Um, but if you look at the example of another disruption, the smartphone, which came out in 2007, um, so many lessons from that. Uh, one is that uh, 2007 was the year when both Google and Apple came up with their smartphones, with the iOS and with Android. Um, so neither company had ever built a phone. So disruptions come from the outside. Um, and also, why 2007? Mm -hmm. People have to ask themselves, why did it happen uh, for Google and Apple both in 2007, not 2005, not 2009? That is because um, all the technologies that uh, were necessary to make a $700 uh, smartphone converged basically in 2007, whether it was digital imaging, uh, computing, uh, lithium-ion batteries, and so on, um, they all converged in 2007. So that year, anybody, uh, BlackBerry, you know, remember BlackBerry, uh, Motorola, uh, remember Nokia, gone, right? Any of them could have built smartphones, uh, and yet it was Apple and Google, two outsiders. But 2007 was the year of uh, the technology convergence, that made the smartphone possible. So uh, essentially, if you could anticipate 
that technology converges uh, as a corporation, as a company, then you could more or less anticipate when that disruption, when that tipping point was going to happen. So if you take that model, you can apply it all the same to energy, to transportation, uh, to food, and so on. Um, and then uh, essentially you can anticipate more or less when disruptions are going to happen. So I know one of the things that you have, you know, you talk about in your presentation, you've got this great picture of, of New York in, in uh, 1900, and it's, it's basically all horse-drawn carriages with one car. And then 12 years later, there's one horse-drawn carriage and hundreds of cars. And, and you're talking about how quickly things can change. Uh, how do you think life is going to be different for the average person between now and 2030, 12 years from now? Yeah, dramatically different. I mean, um, the, 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 there are disruptions. Basically, the decade of the 2020s is going to be the most disruptive to industry and society in history, bar none. Um, every single large industry is going to be disrupted, whether it's energy, transportation, logistics, food, you name it, it's going to be disrupted. Uh, life is going to be dramatically different. How so? If we take the example of transportation, um, you know, for the last hundred years, since those two pictures uh, of where is the horse and where is the car, um, essentially the model for uh, individual transportation has been you own a car, you drive it for a few years, uh, and, and it's a gasoline-driven car and so on. We built cities for that car. We built transportation for that car. We built our energy infrastructure for that car. That is about to change dramatically. Um, the convergence of uh, three things, one is electric vehicles, uh, automated uh, autonomous vehicles, um, and on-demand transportation. So imagine Uber, autonomous, um, and electric is going to radically transform transportation. So uh, the day when autonomous vehicles are approved, level four autonomous vehicles, um, transport as a service, so autonomous electric vehicles, are going to be 10 times cheaper than owning a car. Um, 10 times cheaper. 10x has always caused a disruption, always in history. Um, and so essentially, uh, you're, uh, imagine that that happens, that convergence happens 2021, that day, um, if you're going to go buy a car, your decision is going to be, do I want to buy a $50,000 vehicle? Do I want to pay fifty grand over the next five years? Or um, do I want to buy a $100 a month subscription from Uber or Lyft or DT and so on over the next whenever? Um, and that's a no-brainer. I mean, again, every time there's been a connect, there's been a uh, a disruption. So essentially, folks are going to go from owning cars to accessing. Uh, and we've done that in many other industries. We used to own music. Now we access it uh, as a service. We used to own software. Now we access it as a service. We used to own uh, videos. Now we access it on, on Netflix and so on. So essentially, the transportation uh, industry is going to go from ownership to access because of that disruption. So um, instead of owning a car, we're essentially going to hail um, an, an Uber or a Ford or a GM or whoever the transport as a service company is going to be, 
and they're going to take us in autonomous electric uh, vehicles to work. Um, and then they're going to go pick up somebody else, and then they're going to pick up somebody else, and so on. Um, you know, we, we only use our cars 4% of the time, 4%. It's parked 96% of the time. So it makes exactly no sense from a, a financial perspective. So how is my life going to change in your life? In many ways. One, um, the average American family is going to save at least $6,000 a year by not owning a car and, and having access instead to tens of thousands of, of, of transportation as a service uh, vehicles. $6,000 per year directly to our pockets. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we can do a lot of things with, with, with six grand. Another one is that um, we're going to have autonomous vehicles uh, in the city. And, and essentially, it's going to go from the cities out to the suburbs and so on. By 2030, essentially 95% of all passenger miles will be autonomous electric uh, vehicles on demand. So all of us uh, are going to ride in these in these autonomous vehicles. Um, what that's going to do is the size of the fleet, so the number of cars on the road, is going to go down by 80% because they're going to be used 10 times as much. They're going to be used 40 50% of the time instead of 4% of the time. So fewer cars, uh, 80% fewer cars that are driving continuously instead of being parked. What that means is that parking itself in the cities especially is going to be obsolete. Um, we're going to have dramatic uh, landmass in, in cities and, 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 and especially in the larger uh, LA and Houston and so on that are going to open up in in a place like Fort Worth, 32% um, of the city is going to open up, uh, essentially because parking is going to be obsolete. And so we're going to have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to rebuild cities, um, whether it's green cities uh, and uh, businesses and uh, more uh, residential and, and so on. So cities are going to be redesigned. Uh, we're not going to own cars. We're going to have $6,000 a year in our pockets. Um, we're not going to drive, so essentially, if we want, we can work as we go to work. We can study as we go to work. We can watch a movie as we go to work. Uh, so essentially, 140 billion hours that Americans spend driving, we're going to do something else. So that's going to generate a lot of new business opportunities um, for new business model innovations and so on. Uh, so those changes are going to be dramatic for our lifestyle, for, um, you know, if you own a home, you're not going to need a garage. So what are you going to do with that garage? Well, you know, you can use it for an Airbnb so you can have more income. Um, you can use it to build a an in-law unit so you can get rent rented to a student, you know, make more income. Changes are going to be dramatic. Uh, it's only going to take about a decade. It's, it's it's going to happen. We're on the cusp of that disruption happening. Which companies do you feel are leading the way in this? If you're if you're kind of betting on the the anti Kodak, who who are you betting on to uh, to uh, follow this disruption? There are a few companies that are leading the disruption on on, on several fronts. Um, in 
self-driving, uh, for instance, Google is, is has been at it for about nine years, and they spun off a company called Waymo that is essentially these days they just ordered 20,000 electric vehicles. They are already in Phoenix with with uh, uh, essentially a an on-demand autonomous uh, program. And they're going to expand that to hundreds of cars in, in Phoenix and about 20,000 cars uh, all over the nation over the next uh, few months. So Waymo is ahead. Uber also has uh, a huge program from the uh, right-hailing side. DB in China is making a lot of progress. Tesla has many of the components. So they're an electric car company that is also putting in a network in place and also is developing self-driving technologies. But, I mean, these are just examples. There are more than 50 companies investing tens of billions of dollars in autonomous, different pieces of the autonomous technology um, ecosystem. And just in California, we have 40 companies doing autonomous um, computing side. There are companies like um, NVIDIA, that has built GPUs that can be used for um, level four and level five. Those are the highest forms of automation. Uh, and and they have essentially built a lot of the software, also not just the hardware, for autonomous vehicles. So that's another company that's on the forefront, uh, although Intel also is investing a lot of money. Uh, and so if you follow these companies, you can see how how quickly the technology is improving and, and, and the inroads being made. Uh, uh, but it's not just in the United States. I mean, China has 300-plus electric vehicle companies, 300-plus. Um, you know, we have a handful um, in the United States. And, you know, in Europe, there's maybe a handful. Um, none of the big companies have committed to, you know, electric, electric vehicles the way that, that China has uh, 300. I mean, in Detroit, in the early 1900s, there were 250 car companies. And that's essentially why Detroit became the world leader in, 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 in the transportation industry. And so don't just look at what's going on in, in America or even in Germany. Uh, China is, is, is investing a lot of money and also resources uh, in all of these technologies, electric, on-demand, and um, you know, self-driving. And, and I, I'm not even kidding here. Our producer, Eric... Uh, who's listening in on, on the interview right now, had his phone up, and I think he's buying stock in those companies right now. He's just <laughs> pulling it up. He's just elbowing me. I, Today's the day to buy. I, I have to say, yeah, I have to say, I don't, I, you know, I don't do investment advice. Uh, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't take anything I say as investment advice, please. Uh, but these are, the, yeah, these are, these are great companies that are making um, um, investments and, and are leading the pack in a way, but, uh, by no means take, you know, should you take this as investment advice. <laughs> what are you, uh, and obviously you're talking about you have a passion for this. What are you most excited about right now? Um, I, yeah, I think that the upside of a lot of these disruptions, uh, for society are huge, are tremendous. And, um, you know, the, 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 the transport as a service disruption is going to bring 
um, transportation that's going to be 10 times cheaper than what we have now. That's going to uh, leave a lot of money in our pockets. And also, um, it, it, it's going to give a lot of demographics access to transportation that they didn't have before. The elderly, the disabled, the poor, uh, and so on. I mean, folks talk about um, individual owners of cars. Why would they give up cars? But they forget about a lot of demographics that both um, the car industry and public transportation has left behind. So I'm excited about, you know, half of, you know, the, 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 the R population, which has less than $1,000 in savings in the bank, having access to, you know, on-demand transportation that's 10 times cheaper than now. Um, energy, because of solar and batteries going down in cost so quickly, is also going to be 10 times cheaper. Uh, food is going to be five times cheaper, maybe 10 times cheaper. All of these um, disruptions are going to essentially mean that um, the basics of what we need, what humanity needs, energy, food, um, uh, housing, um, uh, you know, shelter, um, and, 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 and water and so on, are going to become far cheaper than they are now, more accessible. Um, they're going to be done essentially locally. Um, and so it's going to, the benefits of all of these disruptions are going to be huge. They're going to be dramatic. Um, and so I'm very excited about that and that by 2030, the way that I see it, uh, poverty is going to be a social choice, um, meaning that the cost of alleviating and mitigating poverty is going to be so low um, that it's going to be essentially a no-brainer for us to not have poverty at all. I'm very excited about that. Um, the downside that I see is that there are going to be so many industries that are disrupted um, that the transition that getting from here to there may be difficult. Um, and what I mean by that is that um, oil demand, for instance, is going to peak, if I'm right, by 2020, and then it's going to go down uh, in demand, but uh, the price is going to go down quickly in the early 2020s, maybe 2021 or two. Um, and what that means is that a lot of the uh, infrastructure in oil is going to be obsolete by as soon as 2022. Um, that's going to leave a lot of people without a job. And what I mean uh, you know, car dealers are going to go by 2025 or six. Um, maintenance shops are going to go by 2025 or, or six. So a lot of folks are going to be um, left out of a job because of the disruptions. The upside is going to be dramatically bigger than the downside. But what I worry about is that society may not be ready um, to uh, essentially uh, mitigate the downside. So I think that as a society, we should be prepared for all of these disruptions, leaders, uh, you know, policymakers, and so on, uh, to mitigate the downside and take advantage of, of, of the upside, because um, the upside is going to be so huge. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Now, one last question. You've, you've kind of described this Jetsons-like future for that's completely different than, than what we have now in a lot of ways. So uh, what's your prediction of, on when we're going to have flying cars? On flying cars. Flying cars, um, yeah, we have flying cars already. Um, 
we have drones. Essentially, when, when we talk about flying cars, um, usually when, when, when something new happens, a, a breakthrough happens and so on, we tend to see it uh, essentially as a variant of, of what we already know. So if you look at the first uh, personal computers, there were variants of, of the typewriter. Um, still are in many ways, right? Um, and so we tend to see flying cars as cars that fly. But um, we have so many new technologies that um, essentially are converging to make flying devices, let's call them, right? Whether it's vertical takeoff um, um, and landing technologies like drones um, for individuals, for goods, for um, uh, cars themselves, but they're going to be dramatically different from just a car with wings, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, so they are definitely uh, coming, uh, and essentially we're only a few years from um, them becoming uh, essentially uh, as a service. I don't think, again, that uh, flying cars or drones are going to be something that um, um, not not drones for individual transportation. I don't think they're going to be something that we're going to own as individuals, but uh, as a service, um, essentially, an, 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 again, an on-demand flying um, um, transport as a service is a few years from from happening, at least in, in, in the initial stages. It's 10 years behind, probably, um, you know, road transportation, but but it surely is coming. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of Dean Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Jount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.